Hey, welcome to another episode of Not Safe for Wonks. Uh, Leia Rose for Kennedy Cooper and Dre. And today we're going to be talking with uh, Francisco Pierre Luis, who was a candidate for the Soil and Water Conservation Board in Florida in 2018. Um, and he's here to talk with us about what he thinks about politics in 2020 and what it's like just kind of trying to get into politics on the small scale, you know, for somebody you might be out there thinking, maybe you have a friend who said to you before, you know, you should run for politics. And you've thought, no, it's not for me. Well, we're here to talk today with somebody who is that kind of person and who decided, you know what, I will give it a shot and maybe didn't run for the most exciting thing. You know, a lot of people want to run for Senate or something like that. But there's a lot of positions within our government that are out there that are open and that uh, progressive voices could potentially step into. And that's what Francisco attempted to do in 2018. And he mm -hmm. came pretty close. So Francisco, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm glad yeah. to be on. And if you could just kind of take it away and explain a little bit about your 2018 run, what motivated you to run, and uh, just kind of how that whole process went. Okay, so I ran as a candidate for Swinewater Conservation. Well, when I started off, it was kind of like a, well, I, let me go back just a little bit. Sure. So yeah. I had a, because I got to lay out the context. So, <laughs> so, right. um, yeah. I, uh, so a colleague of mine, a person that I know well, um, he's an activist um, and he's also like a, a filmmaker, a, a director of sorts, and he ran for a house for District 58, the Ahmad for a, 58 campaign uh something that i that i volunteered and is that the state house or the um the yeah national? state house. so um when he ran i mean he ran a solid campaign for somebody who was an independent and was running up against a, a democrat republican and a libertarian he managed to and end up with like almost 4,000 votes, like between 3,000 and 4,000 votes. Um, although, like, due to gerrymandering, that seat was obviously going to be um, a Republican-dominated seat, but uh, mm -hmm. nonetheless, mm -hmm. um, the fact that there, there was so much support behind them, it, it was a pretty cool, um, pretty cool experience. Um, one of them was, okay, he ran in a special election, and so there wasn't enough, there wasn't a lot of time to really get out the vote. And two, um, yeah, like. Yeah, some of those happened very fast. Yeah, it happened, it happened really quick. So, um, but for a lot of, I would say within that short period of time, I would say it was a, I would say that that's kind of the experience that kind of inspired me to kind of run for office. So you saw that example and you thought, I can do this, basically? Yeah. Like, it's not that hard mm -hmm. to run for office. Yeah, like, like I thought, okay, if I'm going to run for office, I'm going to have to find a seat that's kind of uh, uh, below the radar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also a seat that's, um, because there's the thing about soil and water conservation. It's so below the radar that... Um, that we literally got people of all, all sorts, you know, all throughout the aisle in, in terms of the left. Um, like I know uh, a guy that was soil and water conservation for 
I would say a good amount of time. He won re-election like twice or so. He was a, uh, he's pretty part of the left. So, <laughs> I mean, some amount of conservation is a good way to get your feet wet if you're, uh, you just want to politics. And also I had a other colleague of mine, she's a fellow Green, and uh, she ran, for some water, she won like she won twice at times. So I mm-hmm. figured, you know, if you can do it, it's under the radar. I figured I, I could like run for it to kind of like solidify that, hey, you know, because being a person who, who, who was associated with the Green Party, it's very difficult to <laughs> win an election being mm-hmm. a third party candidate. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but um, what's what was good about stormwater conservation is that because it's like a nonpartisan race, to look at the person for the positions that they run on versus their party affiliation, if that makes sense. It's like a nonpartisan race. It's like, it doesn't matter what party you are, basically, is what you're saying, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no like parties identified on the ballot. We talked to um, Ian Schlackman, who uh, is a former Green Party presidential candidate, and he talked about the importance of these small mm-hmm. races where your party affiliation literally doesn't matter, doesn't mm-hmm. give you anything, and doesn't affect your status on the ballot. And you could probably mount a campaign without a party backing you. Right, yeah. So, like, you know, even if you're a, a communist or something wild, you know, that just, uh, you know, that isn't, isn't readily accepted in the um, American political discourse, you can run for one of these little races and nobody will know what party you officially belong to necessarily. And it won't affect your ability to get on the ballot and get like attention. Exactly. And that's what makes some nonpartisan races such a, <laughs> such a great way to uh, run for office, especially you identify left. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what uh, Ian talked about. Uh, our yeah. last interview with him a few few clicks ago. So, uh, Francisco, besides being just like kind of a, a small seat that is somewhat accessible to a political outsider, is there any particular reason you picked soil and water conservation? Uh, I picked soil and water. Um, uh, the thing about soil and water, what's interesting about it was if you look at the historical context, um, soil and water is a seat. Is a uh, position that was developed under uh, FDR because soil and because due to the Great Depression and uh, the um, what is it, the Dust Bowl situation, mm. um, they needed to figure right. out ways to uh, properly handle situations regarding soil so that um, due to agricultural um, means it doesn't end up being so abused that. Um, you would end up like situations like uh, what happened in the twenties. Right. Um, so soil and water was uh, was met originally for that purpose to, I guess you could say, preserve uh, the land. So to speak. so the thing about it is is that a lot of regards to soil and water is that we're kind of a non. We don't really write laws. What's that term? We don't we don't really legislate at all. More of a term. 
Yeah, I I know that it's a word for something that you like write bills, laws, or enforce something. We're not like, really. It's like a non-legislative position. Yeah, is that kind of what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's like I'm using the word also for a second. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to figure out the best way to say it, but um, it's not clicking right now. So I would say the best way to say it is non-legislative. <laughs> Right. So it's, and it's something more akin to being like a county commissioner or something, is what you're yeah, saying. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say it's even it's even less. I mean, even county commissioners have power over <laughs> over. What's, so is it kind of solely an advisory role? Yeah, it's kind of like an advisory role, educational role. There's not much that goes on within soil and water. <laughs> but it's so, still a, it's a stepping stone into exactly politics. politics yeah and if you if you and it is term, important it is important obviously yeah like i um uh i also i live in um, new mexico and we are dealing with the long-term effects of spanish overgrazing and what that did to the soil here you know and so it's like we we are constantly talking about these kinds of issues here and I feel like there's very few places in America that haven't had some kind of ecological devastation at the hands of capitalism uh-huh. in the last mm-hmm. 300 years. So uh, even if, you know, these aren't the most quote unquote important positions, they are important, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Uh, so I think it's cool. Um and so you you ran and you got pretty close. Like let's let's talk about that. How did the campaign go? Like how and and how did you get that close and but like mm-hmm. not quite get it? Like what how did it how did it all kind of shake out? Okay, I would say that on election day it, it was kind of interesting because when I, w- I I was hitting the refresh button a lot. So <laughs> F5 over and over again. <laughs> like you yeah, know, we got a, the... a supervisor of elections website. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When I thought that it was the final result, it turns out that it wasn't the final result, and then it's like, okay, this is the final result, and I'm like, okay, now let me share this. And the polls keep coming in, and you're not sure which is the final one. Yeah, and until when the final one comes out, then I'm like, okay, this is the final one. <laughs> and but what's interesting about it is. Was that I was, I would say less than a, I would say I was maybe about 600 points away from being third place. All it took was just six, a couple of hundred votes between me and the third place runner up. And even the third place runner up had, I would say, at least 100,000 votes. So it was a tight race and everybody was getting getting out there and getting some attention for it, kind of. Yeah. And what was interesting was that. I would say out of all of the people in my race, I would say I was the most visible because I was the only one that actually had a website, Twitter, a Facebook, an email address to email directly. Because I was running mm-hmm. up against an incumbent. I, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the incumbent has an email address, but I mean, like, I'm the only one that had an email address for my campaign. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, you were taking it, you, you were taking it very seriously, which is what, you know, outsider politicians need to do. We've talked about this once or twice before on this show that like if you're trying to run and and you don't really have a basis to run in terms of like you don't have a bunch of money or a huge fan base or something already in your favor, then like what you need to do is basically just outclass everybody else. You need to knock on more doors, have a better website, you know, put flyers in more visible places, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would say that, yeah, in terms of knocking on doors and flyers, um, Hillsborough County is a huge county. It's probably one of the biggest counties in the country. Um, because when we're talking about like square, when we're talking about like distance, like um, because it's a countywide seat, mm-hmm. comes to where I currently live, to where uh, places like, let's say, South Shore or uh, places, Plant City, it would take me almost an hour to get there driving. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a large county, and knocking on doors isn't really uh, an option unless you have, let's say, you have people like you, like if you actually had a team or like you had like money like a substantial amount of money to send out mailers or something um right i didn't really have that in my campaign so what i did for the best regard um would be to show up to uh, what they call that uh, candidate forms uh, meeting groups right. and well and yeah, there were there were some people from Swan Water Conservation um, that were there for the most part. Uh, the big thing that I try to make sure that I I wanted to make sure I also had a a platform to run on. Um, I know that an issue that has been big Swan Water Conservation, especially um, the amount of concerted, considering the amount of work that they do, the amount of meetings that they have to attend. The fact that you had people who would work in those positions and they would not get paid, even though mm-hmm. it's an electable position, I think mm-hmm. it's kind of ridiculous. So that's something that um, that I kind of was open to making happen because it doesn't make sense for a higher up with that field to get a, a pay, but everybody else who's in an electable position, they don't get paid. That doesn't really make also yeah yeah. and also um one of the biggest things that i try to distinguish from my competition is accountability in regards to massive phosphorus big phosphorus mosaic that's something that i try to you know pound as a big essential part of my campaign that i was going if elected i would let people know what's on communities so i mean have much Maybe I can bring like an activism towards position so I can organize people to get to the boards, to like the county and say, hey, heck is going on? Like, why are you letting companies like Mosaic off the hook? Right. That's something that even though I may necessarily have power to do anything, at least I would have a credibility a sense of credibility. So when I say that X, Y, and Z is doing something, I back it up, 
people will be like, well, it's time for us to do something about it. Let's do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you really went into this at, like, trying to figure out how you could be an appealing candidate for the seat, be a good candidate, do something that you would feel good about and the district would appreciate, hopefully. It's kind of what, yeah. what you seem to be getting at, which makes sense. That's a good way to run a campaign right there, you know? Like, see what people are saying and, and try to figure out how mm-hmm. to be a good champion of that. Um, is, is something that it's not really the place that enough people start politics in my opinion i think a lot of people sort of approach politics in this weird way of almost like an auteur's perspective you know where it's like they have a political vision and they're gonna bring it and that's not always the best thing so just listening (laughs) to the community you know that's it doesn't surprise me that you were able to get some support you know just by actually speaking to the issues that matter because so many politicians just actually don't seem to do that which is so funny <laughs> yeah yeah that yeah that is true and that's something that, that i have a big um gripe about as well how, how are we going to have a website and tell people that don't, don't have any platform or it's not visible to the public mm-hmm. like people think that just because you have a title or you had a past history that like some some politicians they think you're entitled to vote like i don't want people to vote for me just because simply put um because because i have name making title but if i have policy i need to give people a reason to vote for me so that people voted at the end of the day that's what really matters yeah absolutely so was this was this really yeah, just a one-man show, like you did everything, or did you have any help along the way that was, was significant? I would say I've had help in regards to every person that I told that I was running, and they were in, or when they saw my name. Because a lot of the things was that I, when I let people know that I was running on, on social media, they were like, wow. I had people from like high school, tell people at church to vote for you it was like word of mouth in a way even though i didn't really have a team and way i would say i had a team spirit and sort of a spirit in spirit like yeah physically with me not on doors but they were getting the vote out in a way by getting the word out to vote for me yeah word of mouth is really important especially for small campaigns where you can't mount like um canvassing or other kind of campaign stuffs yeah and i'd wager most people like most people aren't even or weren't even aware that um soil and water conservation was a position that was being voted on or knew anything about it it's it's one of those positions where it's really just a lot of people go into the go into the booth and they look at that position they're like oh I don't know. There, I don't know that there's being an election for that. And then they tick off the one that name the name sounds the best or whatever have you. So, just at the very at the very, you know, making sure people know that the election is happening for your position is important. Yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely true. I would say in part like my name is a unique name in a way. People see my name, they're like, huh, it sounds Haitian. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds unique, so I'm gonna vote for that person. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, 
uh, in a way, big ups. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'm campaigning and just me. But. So even if you didn't have like a real team, though, it sounds like you had kind of a grassroots movement that you were able to build around the campaign to support it. And that's clearly what got you the impressive tally of mm-hmm. votes for somebody just kind of throwing their hat in just like, hey, why not? I, I think I could do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really amazing. So my next question is just kind of what's next? I mean, did, did, did you leave this race feeling like you're going to run for something again or that you're going to keep working in politics, maybe helping other people? manage campaigns yeah. or something what do, you, what do you think yeah i would say um there is definitely plans for me in the future to office i would be a bit of a shame if i didn't to build on the last um so yeah the fact that i made it in the second place i would say that's a motivation for me to run for office again and plus since i'm also also been around in regards to Islam and things of that nature mm-hmm. um Transportation is something that's um, that I'm kind of really passionate about because um, I know what it's like not to have a car and to rely on the bus and to get around on the bike to get from point A to point B most of the time. Sometimes when it comes to, um, depending on how far location is, I probably couldn't make it because of the car because Tampa, specifically Florida, and even the United States, general is a card yes uh-huh yeah absolutely oh, there's definitely absolutely. like you can't get anywhere it's like one of the many elements of sort of like poverty tax is this like aspect of uh you know if you have to use public transportation a lot or you have to use sort of alternative transportation a lot bicycles carpooling whatever um because you don't have reliable transportation there's there's time lost in all of that and sometimes oh, that yeah, time loss is like it. really significant. <laughs> and then like, there's always that narrative, you know, that like, I mean, there was just last week, Elon Musk was in the news. I fucking hate that guy, by the way. If, if y'all don't already know, <laughs> I'm sure most of our listeners do, but seriously. Um, and he was just in the news saying, oh, uh, we uh, could devote a whole episode to how know, much he sucks. If, if you're not having success, you need to work a thousand billion hours a week that's the answer like and 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 this is the message being given to people who like i say their time is being taxed by a system that just wastes it uh you know through things like how public transportation can just really waste so much of the time of people who need it yeah absolutely a point i like that you brought up earlier uh, i didn't really get to speak at all that much but uh i think now is a better time than ever but you brought up earlier the nature uh, or the rather the history of the uh, position that you're in. I thought that was interesting because it reminded me of something I learned. Actually, I'm in an environmental science class right now, and uh, the teacher actually brought up uh, the uh, fact that a lot of natural mm-hmm. grasslands are endangered because of yeah. the things you mentioned, mm-hmm. like overgrazing and uh all these things that uh, terraform the land into uh, yeah. farmland. Yeah, I'm still there. <laughs> we basically overproduce and we ruin a lot of the soil in that area because of those tactics. We don't. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> and whatnot. I think that's really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, kind of coincidental. That's, almost. that's the answer. I mean, I can... Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you know you, you just can't yeah. add much more. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I think there is a point to that, actually, because like a lot of times the people saying environmental science is really complicated are the people yeah, that... So, do you have you know, anything uh, to elaborate on what I said, you know, or is it just like... Is yeah. Things like that. Environmental science is, is kind of simple a lot of the times. Like, yeah, well, let's not, yeah. you know, dump oil all over those I trees mean, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like... like mm. So yeah, much of this stuff is just, just, sometimes that it's simple, just you dumb, know? <laughs> the stuff that's happening. It's like, it's not even like, oh, you know, we were trying our best, but a little bit of this chemical, you know, spilled onto this beach by accident. And it was, you know, we tried so hard. No, it's like, we didn't do anything to stop it. And a thousand gallons of crude oil spilled onto oh, the prairie yeah. and destroyed it. Whatever. Bye. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, a lot of... A lot of the, um, a lot of that is like, you know, um, willful, willful ignorance. Um, right. Cause it's like, um, environmental science is kind of like a mixture of common sense and uh, science, which nowadays, you know how it is. It's like, you know, we live in a post-truth <laughs> age yeah. where it's like, you know, if what I say yeah. is my opinion, then it's truth and even though you might have the facts prove that it's wrong because they believe that they're you the truth mm -hmm. then you're in the wrong try to uh, objectively prove that they're wrong it's like yeah you know it's it's fucking it's wild is the best way i can put it <laughs> yeah. it's wild we we live in a very interesting time for the media so uh francisco so what in particular, so you're very interested in, in transportation, and you also mentioned before the show you're very interested in electoral reform. Um, and so I'm curious what position you might run for where you feel like it's sort of accessible from your position as somebody who's still kind of getting your foot in the door through, for politics, but you have built a little bit of a platform that you can use yeah. um, through this you know, campaign for soil and water. Mm -hmm. So like, what position do you feel like is kind of in your reach where you could do the most good for those issues? I would say I'll probably might be like maybe positions like I would say possibly city, uh, like a, a like a, maybe city a city council or something in that vein, maybe. Yeah, like a city council seat or something. I feel like trade voting needed. Mm -hmm. Tampa. I think I, um, in in New York City, it's it's uh, the day we're recording this on November fifth, and which is election day uh, in a lot of the country. And in New York City, they're voting on a proposition to establish ranked choice voting for citywide offices. So hopefully that kind of kicks well, the trend of doing that. Well, a lot of the country is voting that. on some kind of electoral reform right now. We're, we're voting on, um, you know, like a democracy dollars thing here today. And some other, mm -hmm. I think we might yeah. also be voting on a, on a holiday for voting. Oh, or at least I know that was on the table at one time. I, I can't remember if it actually made it in. Like, and like I, a special day just to celebrate voting or like give you time to vote? Yeah, to give you time to vote. Like, it, you know, it would be a, a state holiday so that um, people don't have to yeah. choose between like making money or going to the polls because that's a way to keep poor people from voting that is very common in a lot of the country. And uh, I feel yeah, like sadly. you should get paid to vote too. Like, like, let's say um, you work, um, you would basically be, um, you know, you would be basically taking that day off and not getting paid, right? So, right. 
a great idea would be to have like a voucher that you could turn into work. You can get paid because you voted on that day or something. Like a way of saying that, hey, because you contributed to society, you're still going to get paid. And if you are poor, it won't severely affect you because you're still getting paid. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to, to solve that problem, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, th- I, I agree completely that, yeah. yeah, like voting shouldn't feel like, you know, something like, that can only really be exercised by people who have, you know, time and transportation and, and certain kinds of freedom. It's like it's like an implicitly under the system we have poor people are punished for. Yeah. Voting. Or, mm-hmm. or a lot of times they can't. I mean, let's be real. A lot of us who have been poor, I've certainly been in this kind of situation. You have jobs where you can't take time off of work. If you're asked to work, you need to show up or else the job is gone. I've had those kind of jobs before, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably nodding along right now because like a lot of poor people have experienced this where like you just really can't take time off. And the only ways to take time off are to run it through these long channels of approval that are complex and bureaucratic and, and they're designed with gotchas just so that they can try to deny you, you know? So like, Oh, you didn't do this form correctly. So actually we never approved that. And they don't tell you a lot of the times they don't tell you, Oh, we didn't approve your time off. They just like the day before your time off when you're like, Hey, why am I still on the schedule? They're like, fuck you. That's why. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, we, we hate poor people in this society of ours and we punish them for doing anything to try and alleviate that. So it's not that. like it so sucks. much a hard it rule sucks. the way like there used to be, you know, a law that said you had to own property to vote in America long, long ago. But there's a soft rule that says mm-hmm. you need to have a job that's good enough that you can like be flexible enough to make the time to vote um or like a lifestyle that supports that for whatever other reasons you need good you need good transportation which we were just talking about like i think it's cool that transportation and and uh you know voter reform are two of your biggest issues francisco because they're tied together (laughs) like exactly if you can't if you can't get to the polls Mm -hmm. you can't vote and you know there are places like my city is is very good about like having shuttles and organizing carpooling and stuff. But there are places where they actively suppress that stuff. And like you can get in trouble for driving somebody else to the polls and shit. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the Republicans passed some really crazy laws oh, in North Christ. Carolina about some of this kind of stuff in particular in some places like that. I believe in, in Texas, they passed a law saying it was illegal to drive poor or yes. old people to yeah. the polls. Or at least they tried to pass it. I don't know if it actually passed, but I know that was on the table at least. But yeah, yeah like like the, like the Republicans but have yeah. been trying to push some of this stuff through, and and just keep suppressing down these people to where, like I say, it's like you have to be capable of certain things to get to the polls at all. And so when we talk about people that don't vote, all mm-hmm. too often there is this perception that most of the people that don't vote chose not to, and a very small percentage maybe couldn't. I, I would say it's the other way around. You know, that actually a lot of the people who didn't vote couldn't. Uh, um, let me just uh, interject here. Um, yeah, go, go off. With the, 
like the gutting of the Civil Rights Act in regards to states not, you know, discriminating against, um, you know, communities. Mm-hmm. That's been gone out the wayside now. It's gone to the fact that we already know, like, what happened with the, um, what was it, the, what happened in Georgia with uh, Stacey Abrams. Them funding, uh, right, right. What was that? What was it, voting I think the um, if I remember if I remember correctly, the Stacey Abrams opponent in the uh, gubernatorial race was the same person who was in charge of the voters of the voter rolls also and like managing the, the voting system in the state. Like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's what I, the yeah, that's the position. I was trying to remember the position, and that was it. And there was some irregularities with the vote, and by irregularities, yeah, I, I think mean, that also uh, happened in uh, Kansas as well with. Um in kansas as well but the a very interesting thing about what happened in georgia was that found um voting brand new voting machines in warehouses that were supposed to go to the community because for a lot of some of these communities you would have to drive miles to get to polling right kind of closing yeah, and they closing deliberately polling locations and polling locations so that areas. you would have you didn't have the means to get to where you needed to get you were basically shit out of luck so you had to basically go i don't know how many miles just to get to the nearest polling place and there was a lot of stuff a lot of shady stuff happening in elections like mm-hmm. and even in florida like i trust florida elections at no. in regard the bigger the bigger elections like the government races and stuff like that like it's a hot mess and we need to do some so we got a lot of work to do. So, uh, getting corruption policy, um, make publicly funded elections would be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a proportional representation, maybe multi-member districts. Oh, that'd be. Yeah. yeah. I like where your head's at on all of those policies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we need more voices and we need more choices. Yeah, well put. Um, and definitely, yeah, like. Those are some issues we really care about. Publicly funded elections is one we're very, very passionate about on this podcast. Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm kind of curious. So you um, uh, on your Twitter profile, you mentioned um, democratic socialism. You've also mentioned a certain amount of love for the Green Party. I'm kind of curious uh, where you consider yourself to lie politically and kind of how you got there. Uh, I would say I am on the libertarian left pretty I'm, I guess you could say I'm kind of <laughs> far left on the left libertarian um, spectrum in regards to, like, you know, the political compass. And then, yeah, I know that. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, there's, so I would say I'm kind of like, uh, I guess you could say around that area where it's like almost either syndicalist or like, uh, uh, like, Mm-hmm. Some kind of like anarcho, like in between that kind of area. Um, mm. So right, like yeah, I, I I'm for like um, you know, what what they call that? Decriminalizing all drugs, legalizing taxing marijuana, and, and a lot of other issues. Like I'm I'm very anti-war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all relatable. Mm-hmm. And also um, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of like uh, 
issues out there. You know what I'm saying? And we could yeah. pick apart. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I do know that I'm for Medicare for All Green New Deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so what drove you to the left and kind of like what sort of like sources inspired you the most? Uh, I was on the way. I mean, I was kind of led to the left like over, I guess you could say it's kind of like a process. I would say that away um, based on like how I've lived, the experiences that I've been in have shaped my perceptions that kind of led me along to the left um in regards to like mm-hmm. uh, uh i was when it, my parents had had a home me coming home one time seeing people coming in and out the house uh, and i'm thinking that we were moving but it turns out that we were that the house got foreclosed and and uh you know they're our stuff the curb of the so mm-hmm. that that's something that I, I was like so i guess you could say that was also so ba- you kind of just lived it to some extent <laughs> you know yeah like i it is kind of hard not to go to the left i think uh to some extent after yeah. experiencing certain things and and yeah that's among them but go, yeah go and i would say like you know every two years going from school to school long from mm-hmm. apartment to apartment there was one point there was some one where we where we couldn't catch up on the rent and the big so that was a and there was one time we was this close my family was getting we didn't know where to go but fully because i had a, a relative nearby we had family near live with them so that's something where it's me it's those really personal situations that what kind of moved me to the mm-hmm. yeah Absolutely. because you know what it's like to be at the seat of just what like what I've gone through. Other people I've gone through probably even worse, where they have no family to um, fall back on cars. Mm. So that's something that um, I want to see all to be great, not have to worry about where's my next meal going to to live where I need to live, or like how am I going to get an education? <laughs> Like, you know, these kinds of things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess you could say, like, in a way, the hierarchy of needs has kind of shaped me. That's very well put. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. Francisco, uh, this has been, like, a very interesting interview. You have a very interesting story. I think that you are probably going to go on to do interesting things in politics, and we'll be looking forward to talking to you again in the future as you continue to run for things and sort of explore that. And I hope that everyone listening will enjoy this story and sort of see the inspiration in something like this, because you really like, you know, you just went out there and did it. And like, I I think more people need to approach politics that way, not even just running for politics, but just engaging with politics just get out there and do whatever it is that you're passionate about politically start that movement or you know get involved with the one that you keep hearing about get involved with some organizing help a small candidate or maybe run for something yeah do what you well, can i can do it more better than myself <laughs> you kind of pretty much know that 
Oh, yeah. Uh, well, Francisco, it was a pleasure. Like I said, we'll look forward to talking to you again as your political journey continues. And um, yeah, this has been Not Safe for Wonks. I'm Kennedy Cooper. And my name's Dre. Our guest was Francisco Pierre-Lewis. You can find him t- on Twitter. Uh, where? What? What is your Twitter? Um, it's a P, uh, my uh, Twitter handle is Pierre for prog- Progress. Pierre for Progress on Twitter. And uh, yeah, like I say, we'll be looking forward to talking to you again as you make your next run. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. All right. And with that, bye-bye, everyone. See ya.